Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. The title of my message, His Birth, My Birth. Now, I know you have heard so much about It's his birthday, not your birthday. I totally concur. It's about his birthday. It's not about our birthday. But I want to just, want you to just hear me out. His birthday, thank God, it's my birthday. Can you say this is his birthday? My birthday. Now, I want you to understand it's about his birthday, not bringing our birthday, but it's his birthday. And because it's his birthday, And I want to tell you, it's our spiritual birthday. When you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 2, you know this is a very familiar setting. The people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Those living in deep darkness, there are parts of the world, particularly at this point in North Pole, where the days get shorter, the nights get longer. And sometimes there have been times when during the summer, from March, May onwards, the day gets longer there and the night is shorter. But then around from October all the way to December and Jan, Feb, March, April, it would be the nights are longer. It's total darkness, and yet not not darkness, but it's not total darkness. But the Bible says those living in the land of deep darkness. Many are identifying with this word because not only individually, but corporately, many churches are in deep darkness. But nations, including our own nation, are in deep darkness. Whichever you want to slice it, it is a terrible situation. Now, in the Bible, we are told names of cities that were beyond what you call salvation, beyond repair. Almost to the fact that 750 years in darkness because of King Ahaz and the kings before them. But once again, when you turn to this passage, the Bible says those that sit in darkness. Obviously, it's talking about people that sit in darkness, whether it could be individual or it could be collateral damage or responsibility. Nevertheless, there are not one, but they that sit in darkness, they have seen a great light. So I want you to understand, in the midst of gross darkness, the glory of the Lord shines forth. In the midst of darkness, they see a great light. These people who have sat in the middle of darkness, they have seen a great light. So suddenly the the dawn of the day comes and there is light. It is momentous. You know, when you look at 750 years of darkness, uh, you have seen that again earlier, just before Exodus takes place, when the people were living in darkness. And then when God begins to move, there was darkness in Egypt, but then there were light in Goshen until they came out and then they went back into sin into idolatry, into witchcraft, into basically greed and and all sorts of sin. 
and they were doing with impunity with nobody, no restraint. And then darkness comes upon the land. We are facing darkness. Not that we are coming into darkness, we are in darkness. We do not know our left hand from our right hand. We do not know what is right, we do not know what is wrong. And rather than the word dictating, it's almost like statesmen who have no idea whatsoever just to get votes on all the sides will do anything and everything to turn us into darkness or to God that there would be light. But I'm going to tell you good news. There's no nation, there's no people that's beyond the pale of God's great light. So when you look into this passage, this light is so terrible. You know, when you turn to the last verse of this uh, earlier chapter, chapter 8 and verse 22, how bad was the darkness? Uh, it says in Isaiah chapter 88 and verse 32, it was so gross, it was so full of darkness that the people, as a result and consequences of what had happened, they were sitting in darkness. Chapter 7 is when God had reached out through Isaiah to... to uh, Ahaz, who was going through a very difficult time, he had taken the nation into sin. And the more he was in problem, the more he sinned. I talked about the last time the name Emmanuel, and then talked about what it meant, and how a virgin shall bring forth a son, and this is a sign. But of course, this man was super spiritual, at least religious. He said, I can't ask God for a sign, when God is saying, ask me for a sign. But yet this is a moment in time when you find the nation in darkness. Uh, there was ravaging uh, sickness and disease and war and all of this taking place. So let's read chapter 9 of Isaiah and verse 1. Let's begin with that passage. And so as you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, this is how it begins. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I want you to listen to two words. It says here, in the past, that is B.C. And then in the future, A.D. Something will happen between the past and the future. Something significant when there is gross darkness, light comes in, and then there is the past, and then there is the glorious future. Let me read it again. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom, because the way that verse 22 and chapter 8 of Isaiah says, is because of sins there's darkness. But he says here in the next verse, remember there's no chapter and verses in the Old Testament or New Testament, the people walking in darkness. No, chapter, Isaiah chapter uh, 8 and verse 22. Leave it there. Let's go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1, please. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom in those who sit in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of, he gives them two places, Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. What happened was this man, Ahaz, was a sinful man. He didn't walk in the ways of David. And he made pact with Assyria, always depending on nations rather than God himself. It is true yesterday, it is true today of Israel. Rather than seek Yahweh, they reached out to nations for help. 
And this man reached out to Assyria because there was uh, attack from the northern tribe, Israel, and then coming also from what would be the, Bab the Babylonians and others were walking in and combined strength. So he reaches out to Assyrians, and so this land, Nep Neftali and uh, this land of Zebulun were at the corner. They were the ones who were ravaged totally by this uh, incursion by the foreign powers. And then when there was a battle by Assyrians, they again went through uh, battle. Uh, so the battle took place in all these border areas that were conquered by the northern, which is uh, Israel, and Judah was basically hurting so badly, particularly Zebulun and also Naphtali. They not only were hurt economically, but they were hurt spiritually because after the Babylonians and then after all of this takes place, you're going to find the Assyrians come and they begin what would be the pillaging of the land. The very nation that uh, Ahaz had depended upon for salvation rather than God, it turned right back and began to hurt them. And again, these two places, Zebulun and Naphtali, got the worst part of it. So they were in a many sense influenced, not only because of the financial disaster, the economic, the farmland all being wasted, but also because of the nations that had surrounded them introduced the gods and idols and all forms of witchcraft and hatred and variance. All these things were in these two places. They were in gross darkness. So we are talking not simply in terms of what would be in the North Pole, but darkness of sin, darkness of pessimism, darkness of unfaithfulness, darkness of literally leaving God and a total backsliding of that nation. In fact, Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 is very clear. For though they knew God, neither they glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, for their thinking became futile and their foolish heart was darkened. Their heart was darkened. They could have got a couple of PhD, but simply their heart was darkened. And as a result, everything about that was a spiritual darkness of sin and deception and lies and ruin, and they had no idea. But let's go back to chapter 9 and verse 1, and let me again point out something in the past and something in the future. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. He goes on to talk about, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom from gloom it is uh, despair, it is gone into hope of those that were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun. He humbled the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations or the many nations that come out. Because of the influx of many people, they had changed the land, they have changed the steep, they've changed the entire outline of the nation. So there was Jewish worship, there were literally pagan worship, and all sorts of things taking place. Does that remind you of something? So in the midst of this, it was Galilee of nations, or if you look at the other translation, the nations of the Gentiles. That's what it comes to. And it was by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. Now I want you to just go down to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 
And let's read what happens and who walks into these two places, chapter 4, 13, all the way to 16. Leaving Nazareth, that very place that was despondent, that was darkness, Jesus lived in Capernaum by the lake in the areas of, look at this, Zebulun and Naphtali, the very place of gloom and doom, the very place of hopelessness and darkness. The Bible says, leaving Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth comes of all places to the border town that have been ravaged for 750 plus years. And what happens? He went in and lived. And he was by the lake of the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali. Look what it says in verse 14. To fulfill that which was said by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Did you get that? A fulfillment of those that sit in darkness will see a great light. I'm speaking to you today. Wherever you are watching this, you may be in total darkness. And yet in the midst of darkness, it's not a God-forsaken place. God is with you, Emmanuel, through Jesus Christ. Open your eyes and behold, I've been doing a series upon spiritual, opening spiritual eyes, opening spiritual ears, the feeling that you get in the spiritual of touch and taste and all of this. And we embarked on the first series. But to fulfill that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, they could see darkness melting and light coming. So in the next verse, verse 415, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. I'll come to that in just a moment. Verse 16 goes on to say, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. These were the very people that have been ravaged by darkness have seen a great light. On those that lived in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let's go now to verse 9 of Isaiah and slip down to verse 2 where we began. And how we began, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, light has dawned, or day sprung, or sun rising, not the setting of the sun. By the way, who said that? After the last of the authors of the Old Testament... It is Malachi. And he closes about the one that would come, the spirit of Elijah. And that's how it closes. And then for 400 years was total silence. It was silent spiritually, but not historically. A lot of things took place geographically, historically. God is not talking about that. You can read in the annals of history. Momentous history was taking place. The Greek thought, the Greek mind, Alexander the Great, and then they were conquered by Rome, and then the Caesars, and by the time these 400 years come, 
Kingdoms have risen, kingdoms have fallen, and now, lo and behold, it's no more the Babylonians, it's no more the uh, Persians or the Medes or anybody in between. It is a powerful nation called Rome. All this in 400 years, but it's silent. God doesn't look to history the way man looks at. God looks to history where there's spirituality concerning his son. So when you say dark or what would be 400 years of darkness, history is taking place, but not spiritual. It's dead, dark. But now the darkness is totally broken by the voice of one man announcing something great. And exactly the words of Isaiah is now announced powerfully, and this is the prophetic song, the prophetic uh, voice, and I'll be talking about the songs of Christmas. It begins with this, a powerful word. You can read that in Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and verse 79. It is the prophetic words of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun or day spring in the King James Version will come upon us from heaven. Day spring. That's under the name of the Lord. Day spring or rising sun is not the setting of the sun. It is a new dawn of a new day approaching. And the sun will come to us from heaven. This is S-U-N. And yet Malachi calls it the S-U-N of righteousness. That's how it all uh, closes, the last book of the Old Testament. The sun will come to us from heaven. And verse 20, 79 goes on to say, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. That is the Prince of Peace. Isn't it remarkable that that 400 years of silence have been shattered by the first song? The first song that comes out of Zechariah the priest. He had been dumb, but now he's singing prophetically about the sun, the rising sun, or day sprung from God, bringing us light, peace, and salvation. This is very powerful. Now, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3 and look at this word, and I'll come back to John chapter 3, verse 16. Thou hast multiplied the nation. We're not talking about one in the future, Israel. It looks like in the West, particularly America, we got stuck with two nations. Americans, and particularly evangelicals, have not come to a realization there's a continent of Africa. There's the continent of Europe. There's all over the Hispanic world and the Caribbean world. Now we're just stuck with America. History takes place in America. In God's great light, that is darkness, until there's light coming in. History takes place in terms of what would be signs and feet and all of that, but it's total darkness until there is light. Again, when you think about it, they will talk about another nation, Israel, but nothing more. But look what God said, thou hast multiplied nation. 
That is one nation, no nation, one nation under God. That's not America. That is you have chosen a nation, a generation, a people. We are a nation under a nation under God. We are a people of God. God is calling from nations of the world. Thou hast multiplied nation and not increased the joy, the joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. Something has happened. In the past, God said in verse 2, in verse 1, and then in the future, A.D., and before that, the B.C., before Christ. What happens in Christ walked down, there was the shifting and the changing, a new dawn of a new day, day spring, or sunshine that comes with the rising sun. Now, let's go back, just go, go back to verse 3 again. It says, Thou hast multiplied nations and increased the joy of people who basically would have not otherwise known that joy. It says, They joy before thee according to joy in harvest. Have you seen harvest? It's not like any other joy. It is something of a bubba crop. God is doing abundant things, and yet He's talking beyond the harvest. He's talking about blow the trumpet in Zion. And he's talking about the wheat and the wine and the oil and all of the mats that were empty will be full again. And the Spirit of God moves in a mighty way. It's a dawn of a new day in the midst of darkness. He first says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Let the priest moan and cry and let the people come and weep before the Lord. And then he says, a refreshing from heaven will come. Thou hast multiplied nations and they're going to joy like the joy of harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Something happens, and I want you to know there are three, four, 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 F-O-R. As a result of before Christ, and suddenly the future after Christ, in spiritual terms. And it's because of one word from the New Testament, four. So bear with me this. The first one is found in verse 4. God has totally broken the yoke. Number one. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden. Who? Christ being born, even walking through the darkened places of Nephtali. The darkened places of the other place. And I want you to know these are just references to the nations and to people who sit in darkness could experience this. Number one, he breaks the yoke of the bondage of Satan. He comes to seek and to save, but he comes to destroy the works of the devil. And there on the cross, he defeated Satan. Thou hast broken the yoke of the burden, and in Jesus' name you have been burdened with illness, sickness, with a hard heart and hopelessness. I want you to know you may be sitting in darkness in Jesus' name. Let that yoke be broken today because Jesus is born, and there's a division between the old and the future. You have not to be living in the past. Live in today. There's a great future in Christ. It says, and the staff is the shoulder, the rod of oppressor, as in the day of Midan. You know what happened in the day when the Midianites were ruling? They made people total slaves. You have no right to be enslaved by Satan or by anybody else. So for thou hast broken God, it's talking about has broken the yoke of bondage. 
Number two, four is found in verse five. In verse five, thou for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. In other words, the battle is over. The last blood has been shed, and that is the blood of the lamb. He has shed his blood. There is no need of blood sacrifice, whether yours or animal. Let me read it again. For every battle of the warriors, confused noise, the garments rolled in blood, for this shall be burning with fuel of fire. That's done. That's burned. That's gone. Don't resurrect it. Oh, some people will come and say, we got to do the old way of doing things. We got to bring in sacrifice. We got to have circumcision. Throw it out. Burn it. With the fuel of fire, it's done, it's over, it's finished. We don't need to take back the old things and come back. Then Christ's work is incomplete. He's finished, completed, he sat down at the right hand of God. You don't need to bring the old paraphernalia back again. It's not necessary. You're not proving yourself any more spiritual by being so religious and with rituals. That is not true. You should not be by all the holy days and by this and by that. No, sir. Every battle of the warrior and everything that was to do with the old has been done and finished. For he has done that. You know how it has done that? There is one for that made it all possible. You know it by heart. What is people's favorite passage? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For he has broken the bondage. For he has caused everything of the past, an oblation, everything to cease. He's completed it by his death. They're all pointing to it. You don't need the temple. You don't need the garments. You don't need the priestly dress. Oh, pastor, you've got to wear all those Old Testament. What for? What for? It is done and finished. All of them were pointed to Jesus. When he came, why do you have a photograph when the real person comes in? Listen, and because of that fur, we come not only to chapter 9, verse 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Now let's go to the next verse, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a son is born. A child is born, I'm sorry, a son is never born. God's son is given to us. But he is born a child. The word becomes flesh as a child. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. You know, uh, people send out an invitation. They wait a little while. In terms of a child, they just want to make sure everything is fine. Everybody's prayers covered. And the mother will then slowly announce with the father saying, hey, there's a child being born. A few months before, could be three, four, five months before maybe, or two or three months before. But this was announced over 700 years ago by Isaiah. 700 years ago. I don't need any more. That just one is sufficient suffices that the Bible is so true and real. Can you say amen? Yes. I mean, any Tom, Dick, and Harry say some, some crazy stuff, but 700 years later, exactly, a child will be born. It's incredible. A child born, a son given. He's both a child, Mary's child, and yet the son of God. 
What is so important is the name is given is something superlative. Think about it. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each of them have meaning. You break it down. We've done that before. But just something you need to understand. These are non-negotiable names only for God. You cannot call someone Mighty God. That's blasphemy. You cannot call the Everlasting Father. That's blasphemy. Hold your thought. It is Yahweh himself saying, not some priest. It is God himself saying, and his name. Excuse me, you have a quarrel with God? It's an Old Testament passage. It is written in Hebrew. It is written for the Jewish people. And it is Yahweh saying, his name. That's not Yahweh's name. Talking about a child born, a son given. His name shall be called Wonderful. He's wonderful in his birth, wonderful in his action, wonderful in his miracle. He's wonderful. That's only God can be. Amen. Counselor. That the spirit of counsel and wisdom. Uh, Isaiah 11 talks about the seven spirits that is upon the Lord Jesus. This name shall be called the mighty God. Hold it, hold it. I'm confused here. God saying he's the mighty God. The word becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh. Think about it. And then the everlasting father. And here is Yahweh saying, he is the prince of peace. For unto us, these four fours are so important. The three of them in Isaiah 9 and John chapter 3 made it possible because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's go back to chapter 9 and verse 2 and look at what it says here. The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. Think with me for a moment. How does John introduce the Lord Jesus? If you turn to John chapter 1 and verse 4, you see Matthew, Mark, Luke talks about literal specified birth. Literally, that took place. That's real. But the way he says, in him was life. And the light was the light of all men. So he was the light of all men. And then in the verse 5, look at what he says. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness flees away. Darkness comprehends it not. Darkness cannot hold the flicker of one light since darkness, but the true light, the complete light, he's the light that shines every star in heaven and in constellation. He's the light that lights the sun, and he's the light that lights the brightest of the stars in heaven. The stars are only reflecting the one that gives light. He is the light, life and the light of all men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Did you comprehend that? This is so incredible. Now, if you turn to verse 7 and verse 8, it continues. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. So, talking about John, that was not the light, but he came to testify of the light. He says, so that all men through him might believe. Now, what is he talking about? Verse 8 says, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to that light. Verse 9 that was the true light that lighted 
every man that comes into the world. So we get a glimpse of what would be light and life. That is very powerful. So when you think about it, beginning with Ahab, Ahaz, a king, and I talked about it two, three Wednesdays ago about Emmanuel. But listen, Isaiah talks to Ahaz, and Ahaz says, oh, I will not ask for a miracle. I don't want to tempt God. You're not tempting God. God is wanting to show you a light out of your situation, out of your predicament. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 and look at the marvelous way he gives instruction. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He was called two names. We don't need to go there. I talked about it. Matthew chapter 1, 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Yeshua, Jesus, and they also called him Emmanuel. Both of them very powerful. Yeshua simply means Yahweh saves. Emmanuel simply means Yahweh is with us. God is with us. So both of them in conjunction with God the Father. Now when you turn to John, uh, when you turn to chapter 9 and verse 6, look at what Isaiah goes on to say about him. He says, a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Goes on to the next verse in verse 7, goes on to say the government will be upon his shoulder of the increase of his government, and, and peace there shall be no end, and talking about the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. It's going to happen. So you have a past, that is B.C., and then you have a present, which is A.D. I want you to understand this. Every time darkness, uh, light fades, darkness steps in, and it's hopeless until people begin to cry out to God, and suddenly the presence of the Lord steps in, and there is light in Naphtali and Zebulun, in New York, or wherever it is, if we cry out, or in our homes, in our lives, in our business, or in our affair. Darkness will recede because light comes in and darkness cannot comprehend or cannot compete with it. What I want us to realize is a very important statement that John begins to make. We read about it in verse 8, verse 9. He was the light that lighted all men. But let's go down to verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14. He was in the world. And the word was made by him, and the word knew him not. That is tragic, a total refusal of God. It's happening not simply in the political, in the natural world, but actually in, in the churches as well. They simply don't know him, or they don't want to know him. They are basically compromising everywhere, and darkness is upon you. Don't look at the splendor and the majestic of the gigantic, uh, many-faceted building. Understand, if they do not have the Lord, they've lost the light. He's the light. The light in the spiritual world is Jesus. If he's not the center, and he's born, that he would be the center of our life. The Father so wanted it that way. But it says the word knew him not. And then verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12 says, 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Hold it a second. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I was not there. I'm in New York. The word came to Jerusalem. And in Bethlehem he was born. And he was raised in Nazareth. I'm not in any of those places. But the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. I'm asking you that Paul, what Paul said. Is Christ formed in you? Is Christ birthed in you? Excuse me, he's born in Bethlehem. But the question is, is he born in you? If he's born in you, he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But if he's born in me, not only am I celebrating his birthday, I'm born again. His birth, my birth. How could you say that, Pastor? You're just confusing me. Let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own. It doesn't matter if you're born in a Christian family. The Old Testament, they were priests and they were the Sanhedrins and the Pharisees. It didn't matter who they were. It mattered if they accepted him. He came unto his own and his own received not. So what happens to those who receive him? I want you to read this word. Come on, stand up and read that word so we can get a better picture of it, okay? Verse 12. But as many, hold it, hold it. What many? Isn't it one nation? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3. Remember he said, many nation, you have multiplied. Not one people, oh, you know what? No hope, you are not born in Israel. You are not of the commonwealth of Israel. Who said so? He is enlarged in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is Bigger than Israel and bigger than the church, the kingdom belongs to God. Amen. He's multiplied nation and increased the joy. Now let's go back to John chapter 1 and verse 12. Let's read this together now. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become, hold it, sons of God. There was one son. Did you hear what I said? There was one son born, but now you are born. All a matter, have you received him? As many as received him, it doesn't matter where you are. You may be in Saudi Arabia, you may be in Israel, you may be in Pakistan, you may be in Trinidad, Ghana, wherever. You can be in Spain. But if you are among they, as many as received him, then to them, to you, the opportunity, the power, the dynamic power of God to become sons of... How did it happen? When Jesus was born, Bethlehem, Christmas, when Christ is born in me, I was born again. I was sitting in darkness like Zebulun and Naphtali, but those that sit in darkness saw a great light, and he walked through Naphtali. He walked through Zebulun. And light came. You said, excuse me, they were in darkness. 
darkness in the past, but now light has come. Am I speaking to you today? Just where you are, just embrace that light. How do I embrace the light? Open your windows. You've been shut in the past. You've been shut to your impossibilities and limited God. Open the windows of your eyes. Open the windows of your ears. Open the windows of your spiritual touch, of your spiritual smell. I'm talking about, in Sunday, I'm talking about what you see of Christmas. The lights see beyond that. What you hear of the sound of Christmas. Hear before that, beyond that. What you smell, and they are very significant. They all bring memories of Christmas. Go beyond that and taste and see that the Lord is good. What you are able to touch and feel, and which we touched, the apostle said, which we have seen with our own eyes, is that your experience? As many as received him. The Bible says, he was born and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's close with the last verse of chapter 1 and verse 12. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe in his name. Do you? I pray you would. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.